as we get started this morning, um, I, I, I maybe just want to start off a little bit different. I want to start off in a, in a time of prayer. Um, and so wherever you are, wherever you're um, gathered together with your family or if you're there by yourself or whatever, um, just want to kind of enter into a time of prayer. Um, and so what I want you to do now is just kind of take, take this time just maybe uh, just to, to posture yourself, posture your heart uh, in a place of meditation and, and just pray right now. Pray for, pray for, uh, pray for this morning as you, uh, as you are engaged with this, uh, with this sermon video um, and, and just, just maybe sit in silence and ask God to maybe speak something to you, encourage you, challenge you in some kind of way. Uh, so would you do that now? Just take a moment to pray for yourself. And as you pray for yourself, why don't you uh, pray for those who are engaged in this video. Pray for those who are engaged uh, in this time with you. Uh, we're all collectively gathered virtually all over the place right now at the same time. Um, and so um, ask God to, to speak and to move in these other places where these other people and families and groups are gathered. Um, take a few minutes just to, uh, just to pray for, for those people now. And would you pray for me? Uh, pray that uh, God would uh, speak uh, clearly um, and effectively through me. Pray that God would restrain any words um, that may not be from him um, so that we get, uh, we get something that's helpful, something that's good, um, something that's corrective, something that's encouraging. So pray for me now just for a few seconds as we get started. Father, we all collectively join you this morning, our hearts bound together across different uh, neighborhoods and across different cities. And um, God, uh, if it be your good pleasure across this world uh, that this uh, video would join us together, this uh, time together, um, Lord, would you move among us? Would you, uh, would you show us yourself in a real and true and meaningful and helpful way this morning? We ask all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, so last week, uh, Trent uh, was able to uh, show us kind of in Scripture uh, about this guy. His name was Naaman, um, and this guy was a commander of the Syrian army. Uh, so he was a very powerful guy, very uh, uh, studious guy, um, well-known, well-liked, well powerful guy. Uh, but one of the things about Naaman was that he also had leprosy, uh, this terrible disease that, um, that just attacks the body physically um, and, and to the point usually of of death, and so we we also met one of Naaman's uh, slaves, uh, a young girl uh, who was captured, uh, who was forced uh, into slavery from one of his victorious battles, uh, and so this probably meant that this girl was um, her family was killed, uh, that everything that she knew was taken away from her, and and she was enslaved, carried off into slavery, losing everything that uh, she she had uh, meaningful to her, and so. Um, that's important to know, uh, both from where we've been and where we're going this year. 
Um, the goal of our series this year, it's, been, it's a, it's a year-long series that we've set up. Uh, our goal has been to illuminate this unbroken line that, 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 is, that threads all the way through the Old Testament and points us to Jesus. So every stop along the way in the Old Testament, we're looking for how, um, how all of these events and all of these uh, prophecies uh, are pointing us to God's promise, God's promise of of a savior, and so that began in Genesis. We looked at that at the very, be- uh, I guess maybe the first few weeks, um, where God makes a promise to Adam and Eve that uh, that she's gonna from from her uh, from her lineage basically there's gonna be a a, a, a savior who's gonna be born, and the, and the enemy that has attacked humanity, who the, the enemy who's attacked mankind, will be destroyed, will be defeated by that um, by that child that that's gonna that's gonna be born. Um, and so I want to encourage all of you uh, to continue to look for Jesus in these moments. Every week we stop and we look at these, uh, these events and these stories that we're seeing in Scripture, these prophecies. The goal is to point us to Jesus. And so that's, that's why we're shining a light on this. And so you think about just last week, for example, um, the, the, the passage points us to Jesus in, in, in a few ways. But, but one of the ways that I took away was about this little girl, this little slave girl. Uh, helped me see Jesus. Uh, it helped me see Jesus in the way that, that she responded, right? She didn't, she didn't have to say anything to Naaman about how he might be healed. She didn't have to mention anything about him finding healing. She could have just opted to silence herself and, and as a way to hurt him back, let him sit in his suffering and in his sickness. This could have been a moment of payback for her that things were being done to her, and, 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 and she was innocent in the whole matter. Um, but instead, she led with a posture of forgiveness, a posture of kindness. She wanted Naaman to be well, right? And so that helped me see Jesus more clearly uh, in that story. And so we're just kind of continuing to see that. Today's passage is going to be a much clearer picture of this prophetic line pointing to Jesus. Today we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. And so if you want to go there and get ready, um, that's where we're going to be going today. And interestingly enough, we, we will usually pull this, this particular passage from Isaiah uh, into our annual Advent uh, series. Uh, I think at least three or four of the seven seasons of Advent that our church family has already gone through, um, we've landed at this particular prophecy uh, of Isaiah. And I say interestingly enough because the season that we're currently in, um, while it's not Christmas time, um, the idea of Advent, right, which is liter- it literally means an arrival or something to come, uh, it, this idea of Advent creates a longing in us. It creates uh, this, this great anticipation of something that's coming. And so it's very much a reality for us today, right? Like we are waiting, we are longing for this uh, the end of this chapter to, 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 to arrive, right? We're, we're, we're ready to kind of get back to some kind of routine, some kind of normalcy in our life. Um, and so we're just kind of sitting here waiting with great anticipation, with a longing, so to speak. And you've heard us talk about that. You've heard us tell you over and over how much we long uh, to, to be together again. Um, and so while this season necessarily won't culminate with the celebration of the birth of Jesus like we do at Christmas time, it's going to culminate with a celebration nonetheless, right? I can remember just a couple of weeks ago, we were looking online at, um, uh, when we were streaming online one of our Sunday gatherings, when it was kind of over, a lot of our church family just hung around and said, man, we really need to get together. We're ready to kind of just, you know, be together. And so we're just kind of looking for that moment of celebration. Um, 
And I realize that most of us, we haven't really considered this season to be real Christmassy, right? I, I don't see why you would. Uh, but as I thought about and dug into this passage more and more, um, I've come to believe that it has all the same ingredients. I, 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 think, I, I think it kind of, we're in a special season where we can, we can really relate to, to this anticipating moment. So I don't know about you. I love the Christmas season. You've heard me talk about it a lot. Our family loves the Christmas season. And at the same time, it's, it's somewhat disorienting, right? Love the Christmas season and somewhat disorienting at the same time, much like the season of Christmas when you're there. Like, we've, like we have family who, who we get together with that we don't usually spend a lot of time with. Um, or even with our immediate family, we spend more time with our immediate family during, those, uh, during that season. And that can be both a gift from heaven, right? And it can also be a reminder just how broken we are. Right, I've talked about that the last couple of weeks. Just like, man, we spend an extra amount of time with our with our kids now and with our spouses, um, and and man, it's really good. It's really a gift. But at the same time, boy, it's a lot, and we start to see the brokenness in us, both as kids, as husbands and wives, as family members um, that you don't that you normally kind of you're distanced from um, in any other circumstance. Um, much like Christmas, we've been brought into, brought to this, I guess, this threshold of something uh, that, sh- that just makes us downshift a little bit. The kind of, some of us even had an abrupt stop. And the thing that I haven't been able to get away from, the thing that, uh, that, that I don't want us to miss, we cannot miss the gift in this season. We have, to, we have to see the gift that God's given us in this season. Let's not be totally blind to the, to the gift that this moment brings us. Like for, for some, like over the, over the past few months, you've been somewhat like, like someone who's hiked down into the Grand Canyon, right? I use the Grand Canyon analogy a lot because it's a big, impressive thing to me. I, I, I've seen it once in my life, and uh, it's just always been something that has intrigued me. Uh, but it, it's, it's kind of like some of you have been in this place over these last, I guess, month or so now, where, month or two, I guess, um, where, where we're, we're kind of like a hiker who's gone down into the bottom of the canyon, and, and we're just focused on the ground. Our, our, our eyes are down. We're pitching our tents. We're cooking our dinner, and we're not looking up. Like we're not, there, there's something all around us that is demanding our attention, something that is, is, is vast, something that is worthy of pausing and lifting up our eyes and receiving it, and we're just missing it. We're missing the moment. We're missing the gift in this moment. So what I hope to do today uh, is just to really kind of let's, let's, let's come back up out of the canyon. Let's come to the rim of the canyon. That's where I want to take you today so we can get the, the big picture, so we can get the, 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 the bigger picture, to step out of the fray of all the things that are going on, all the chaos that's right around us. And that's been our goal for this series. That's been our goal uh, for, for the, the year of 2020 is just to zoom out and to get the whole picture, to get the big picture. And so that's what I want to do for us today. In the 8th century B.C., there was this upheaval. There was turmoil. There were wars. And in the midst of all this, there was this Jewish prophet, Isaiah. Isaiah had this amazing uh, insight uh, about what was coming for the world, what, was, what, was, what God was delivering when, he, when God's promise of the offspring would arrive, what that would mean and what that would look like and the significance that it had. Uh, and this offspring would be the offspring whose, whose heel would be bruised but would crush the, the head of the enemy. And this, this prophet starts out, this prophet Isaiah starts out under the influence of the Holy Spirit talking about a deep darkness, a deep darkness that will, 
be obliterated by an even greater light. And he says in chapter 9, of verse 2 of chapter 9, he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Isaiah is saying something, uh, not just about the nation of Israel in this moment, um, but he's saying something about the human condition in general. And, and, and if these words don't sober you, if these words don't, don't wake you up, you won't understand humanity. You won't understand history. You won't understand any bit of, the, of theology in the Bible. Isaiah is shouting. He, he's, he's prophesying that things are not the way they should be. They're not how they should be. And you won't be able to fully celebrate the greatness of this light that's going to break in unless you understand the depth of the darkness that we're in, that we're surrounded by. If you don't sit in the darkness, if you don't own it and feel it, then the gift of this child who is the great light will just seem like another thing that happens among all the other things that have happened in history. Right? If, you don't, if this darkness does not apply to, to you personally, it's just going to kind of skip off into, into an, a, another, uh, a, a whole other vast recording of history. And it's not necessarily applying to you. And Isaiah tells us the source of this darkness. It's not a lack of human education. Some would say that's the, that's the remedy to the problem, more education. Isaiah doesn't say that's the problem. And it's not bad governments. It's not that someone's doing something to me. And it's not problems that we have we can probably clean up on our own or anything like that. He points to the source of the darkness as something that's missing, something that's missing in the people of Israel and was profoundly missing in the world as well. In the, in the previous chapter, chapter 8, in verse 17, he says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. And that phrase, the Lord is hiding his face might not, mean, it might not land on you real heavy. It might not mean a lot to you. Uh, but the Jewish prophet Isaiah is enamored by this reality. This statement carried a lot of weight. The psalmist David would say in Psalm 143, verse 7, Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Throughout the Old Testament, Starting at the very beginning, we get this relationship between God with hum and with humanity, humanity who bears his image. And in, the, in this story of God's relationship with humanity and humanity's relationship with God, you understand that we were created to live under the countenance of God's face. What does that mean? We were, we were designed, we were created to live in a face-to-face -face relationship with God. That's, that's how we were created. Face-to-face -face is intimacy, is it not? Like, it, 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 like, we of all people should know this right now. We, we're, trying to, like, we're trying to have meaningful community with one another over Zoom or over Skype or FaceTime or whatever, um, and, and it's, it's difficult, isn't it? It's not like being face-to-face. -face. There's a level of intimacy when we're face-to-face, -face. and maybe I'll just kind of chase a rabbit for just a second. For those of you who are uh, engaged in our family groups uh, across Sulphur Community Church, um, I will say this. Um, we, have, we have taken a lot of effort to do the best we can to stay connected with one another through our groups. Um, and 
just over the last couple of weeks, I've been asking for feedback from our leaders, and they all say the same thing. Man, it's just really difficult. It's really weird. We can't, like, it just doesn't work well. Um, and, and I just want to challenge you, uh, church family, those of you who are engaged in community groups, uh, you can help. Uh, you can help by uh, showing up. You can help by actually uh, saying, yes, I will be there. You can show up by, um, by acknowledging when, when prayer requests are being asked. You can show up by engaging in conversations, answering questions. There's a lot of things that you can do to make it uh, better. And so uh, would, would, you, would you please just like commit to engaging in your groups? Over these next few weeks, while we're unable to meet physically, um, that, that's the point I'm trying to make. And that's the point that, that Isaiah is saying, is that, that there's, a, there's a level of intimacy uh, when we're face-to-face, unlike any other. And, and so when you're face-to-face with someone, you, you're basically opening up your life to that other person. You're communing with that person. I think about whenever I... Um, uh, have the privilege of officiating um, um, wedding ceremonies, uh, almost every time I have to remind the bride and the groom that when they say their vows, they're not saying them to me, so stop looking at me. Uh, I always have to kind of remind them, say, no, 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 you're going to repeat after me, but you are making a promise to one another. You are opening your lives to one another, so I want you to look dead in one another's eyes as you make these promises to one another because it's meaningful. It's, it's a level of intimacy that, that is like no other. And so to live in relationship with God is to actually live in this face-to-face communion with God. It's this place where God isn't just the creator of this light that's to come, but he is the source of our light, this face-to-face relationship with God. It gives us the source of light to be able to see ourselves accurately, to to be able to see the real us, to be able to see the world around us accurately, uh, not how we have it kind of framed up in our minds, but, but in reality, to be able to see uh, created things accurately, the things that God made accurately, and how we're supposed to interact with these things in the right way. These things that were created for His glory and for our good that we tend to kind of use in different ways that, that don't achieve that end. And so for the Lord to, to hide His face is for humanity to be missing the most profound source of light, the most profound source of identity, the most profound source of joy and this is the big idea that Isaiah is communicating when he points out this deep darkness, this, this darkness that he's talking about. For God to hide his face doesn't mean that there's just some, some distance between you and him. That's not what, what that means. For God to hide his face from us, from me, and from you means that we are haunted by this reality that we can't function as he created us without him. We don't know right from wrong, light from dark, cold from hot, without him. And so that's, the, that's the, the haunting reality of God hiding his face from us. And so many of us want beauty, right? We want beauty, we want, but, but beauty never is enough, is it? It's never enough. We want lasting beauty, not just beauty, but we want beauty that lasts. And when beauty flees, when beauty flees from us, uh, we have a tendency to do all sorts of things to try to keep it and try to hold on to it. But that's just a reminder that we were made to live in a face-to-face relationship with God, where ultimate beauty is found. Ultimate, unending beauty is found. And no matter how great love is, no matter, no, it's, it's never enough, is it? Right? It, it's so many of us want an unending love, something that goes on. It might be for your children or your spouse or someone else, and, and, and you, 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 all, you always want it to be uh, at level 10, you always, and you always want it to be there, but it's never enough. So many of us want meaning, 
We crave purpose. We crave meaning for our lives. And if you don't have meaning in your life, it's going to be very, life is going to be very difficult. It's going to be very depressing for you. But meaning isn't something that we're going to find at the next job. Meaning isn't something that we're going to find in the next social cause, the social justice movement or anything like that. That's not where we're going to find meaning. And so when Isaiah says God is hiding his face from Israel, he's saying we are haunted by God's absence. We are left in the dark and we really, really need him. We really need him. And he would go on throughout this prophecy, throughout the rest of the book, to describe uh, two ways that we typically react to this, this haunting, this reality that God is absent. We would either turn to some kind of false spirituality, some kind of earth worship or something like that, or we get altogether frustrated with God. We, we get altogether um, uh, done with him. We check out, digging through his, we'll move on to dig through his stuff, to try to find a suitable replacement for him, right? And so that means we try to replace him with money. We try to replace him with beauty, with art, with work, with sex, family. You fill in the blank. That's our tendency when we're haunted by the reality that God is absent, that he is hiding his face. And so what he's saying is that on the onset of this incoming gift of light, humanity is living in in gloom in the absence of, of God's face, and if we're honest about it, this should bring a deep misery. Like, if we're really honest, if, 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 if we can first get to the place where it applies to me personally, then honestly, it just brings this dark gloom over us, this misery. The absence of God's face leaves a deep void, and our tendency is to always try to fill it with everything under the sun, always, and the result is distress. The result is hunger, gloom, darkness. But let me tell you something. This is also the place where we find our deepest joy. This is the place where we can find our our deepest joy, the place where the, the light breaks in and shines the brightest. This is the launching pad of the gospel, by the way, that there's a dark place that light is breaking into, where light is going to totally obliterate the dark. And if, we were, if, we, if this were just a story of justice, right, if this was just a story of, uh, of God exercising his justice, he wouldn't show up to fill that void with the gift of light. He would actually show up in this place with what we deserve, and that's his wrath. But this isn't a story of just justice. It's also a story of grace, where God moves toward this deep darkness with the greatness of his light to shine on us. And Isaiah would describe it this way, going on through the rest of our passage. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Don't miss, don't miss this. In this gloomy, deep darkness of God's hidden face, the gift from heaven is going to bring a great light that will be like a great harvest, that will be like a, like a great liberation. And, and Isaiah describes this moment like this joyful harvest and this, this, this battle of, 
of Midian. And it's hard for us to get excited as we should about this for most of us because contextually we don't think a harvest as a big deal. Um, like you can usually buy oranges in February at the grocery store. Right? So harvest doesn't, ha- like, it doesn't jump off the page at us. Uh, so we're not longing and waiting for stuff. Even if, even if you are one who plants your own garden and tries to feed yourself out of your own garden, you can still go buy tomatoes whenever uh, your garden gets wrecked by something. So it's, it's, we don't understand it quite. We can't contextualize with it quite like, uh, like the, 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 what the moment that Isaiah is writing in. Um, and, and so, but to the Israelites now in our passage, and, and still to some in the world today, um, it is three seasons of waiting. Three seasons of waiting. Three seasons of rationing. Three seasons of often going to bed hungry. Three seasons of hoping that there's going to be enough rain. Three seasons of hoping that there's not going to be too much rain. Three seasons of tending. Three seasons of waiting. Th- three seasons of longing. That's what it was like. That was the norm. And then harvest time. Harvest time would come, and when harvest time arrives, you gather all your family, you gather all your friends, your neighbors, because for the first time all year, there's not only enough, there is an abundance. There is plenty. You break out the wine, you break out the bread, you slaughter the choice calf, you throw down. It's party time, and the greatest of this light is even more joyful. The greatness of this light is even more joyful and more inspiring and more delightful than the satisfaction of that harvest time, of the moment that you arrive at harvest time. And not just like harvest time, Isaiah would, would, would also uh, compare it like the day God delivered his people from Midian. And we didn't stop at this point through our Old Testament um, journey, uh, but in the book of Judges, Midian was a nation uh, that planned to invade Israel. They got all their plans together. They got their war strategy together. They got everything together. Uh, And so the odds were massively stacked against Israel. And they just basically threw their hands up. They had concluded that um, that they were going to be overthrown, and so they were just all but surrendering at that point. But God flips the script. He flips the script, and he gives Israel victory over the Midianites with only Gideon and 300 frailing soldiers, God delivers Israel from the superior forces of that day, which was the army of Midian. And, and, and he would bring rescue to his, to his people. And so Isaiah is recalling this moment as he prophesies in the midst of this deep darkness, saying, there is a light breaking in. There is a, there is a light breaking in. Think about the harvest time. Recall the harvest time. You got it? Okay, it's going to be better than that. Think about Think about you and your family facing intimate slaughter and someone jumping in and defeating your opponent and saving your family and your community. You got that picture? It's going to be better than that. It's going to be greater than that. How in the world could this happen? How does this happen? If the source of darkness is God's hidden face, if that's where the source of darkness is, how in the world does this child of light answer the ache of God's missing face. How is a child going to do this? And the answer leads us to the most amazing mystery that has ever happened, and that is in the incarnation, the Christmas story, the the birth of Jesus, the moment God became man in the person of Jesus. And in that moment, the face of God was unveiled. The, the, The face of God was restored to humanity, the face that gives beauty the face that gives meaning, the face that gives ultimate, never-ending 
love. In Jesus, the face of God comes to dwell with us. In verse 6, you saw, for, the, for a child, uh, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is absurd. This is crazy. When you really think about it, babies are the truest form of human frailty and human weakness. Babies are helpless, are they not? They're, they're helpless. They can't defend themselves. They can't feed themselves. Isaiah's not saying he will be like a baby. Isaiah's not saying he's going to be, appear to be a baby. He says a child is going to be born just like every other human child on the planet who can't do anything. A baby can't do anything on its own. And so babies are infinitely vulnerable. They're infinitely vulnerable to the cold, uh, to hostility, to, to hunger, and every other form of harm. And in that same breath, this baby will be the restoration of the very face of God, Isaiah tells us. He's called Wonderful Counselor. He's called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This baby's not showing up with this gospel of tenderness or this gospel of cuteness towards humanity. This baby's not showing up uh, as another fable that we get to tell our children about. This baby is the very light of God breaking into our darkness, into our world, the very truth of God pervading the world, the very face of God being unveiled before the world and doing so in full humanity to reveal the very face of God, yes, but also to make the face of God smile to all of those who would trust in him for salvation. It's one thing to know that, that what's missing in your life is the face of God. It's one thing to get to that place, to know that God is absent from your life, that you're made for eternity with him, and when he's missing, nothing else under the sun will really satisfy. Like it's one, one thing to be in that place, but it's a whole other paradigm to be with God and his face smile at you. To, to have other, any other reaction besides judgment. And like for the ways that we've ignored him, for, for the ways that we've made a bigger deal of his stuff than we have made of him. In this baby, we get the face of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. It, he is the perfect image of the invisible God. He is God in the flesh. If you want to know what God thinks, if you want to know how God feels, how God intends to engage humanity, what God thinks of sickness and disease and death, what God thinks of empty religion, how God feels about dictators and poverty, if you want to know what God thinks about all of that, look at Jesus. He, is the, he perfectly reveals the face of God. But Jesus, in vulnerability, and in the weakness of his humanity is crushed in our place on the cross. And in that crushing, in that place of crushing, 2 Corinthians says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He that knew no sin bears all of our sin so that the face of God shines towards us smiles on us. And so many of us, when we imagine the face of God, 
we see the face of a disappointed father. Like, oh no, man, I blew it. And he knows it. But the face of God in Jesus Christ for you right now in Christ, not a better version of you, not a, not a future version of yourself, but right now is the face of a father who delights in you, face of a father who chooses you, who smiles at you, who sees you as a beloved child in Christ Jesus with a thousand different confusing chaotic things going on right now and all the distractions that we can give ourselves over to and all the cynicism and all the numbness that we can get sucked into in this season we're in, don't miss this. Don't miss this because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, you can see the face of God. He's not hiding his face. And you can not only see him, see his face, but you can see him smiling at you because of Christ. And this is the good news. This is our good news in these dark days and every dark day that we're going to face from this point forward. And so I want to close uh, by just reading some, some more of Isaiah's prophecy over you um, as we close. And I want us to enter into another time of prayer together, uh, just kind of where you're at. Uh, bow your heads, enter it, posture your hearts for prayer. Uh, and I just want to read this scripture over you, and then we're going we're gonna to close. This is Isaiah 53, starting verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you now. Uh, in the name of this beautiful promise light child that you uh, are giving to us, um, God, that you have given to us, um, God, that we, uh, we embrace your love, we embrace your, uh, your forgiveness for uh, all of the ways that we've ignored you and all of the ways that we've exploited your creation uh, and, and ignored you and turned our faces from you. Thank you for coming after us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for calling us your beloved sons and daughters. Lord, I pray now that your spirit would be at work and moving wherever ears are hearing uh, these words. Uh, that, God, you would move in those places. I know you're able to. And so would you do that, Father? We love you, Father. And we can only say that and we can only really mean that because you first loved us, that you first came after us, that you made the initial move, that you sent your son Christ. Um, as a great light to invade our dark hearts, to invade our dark space, to invade our dark world. And so, Father, I pray that we wouldn't recoil from the great light that you've given us, God, that we would receive it, embrace it wholly. And we trust you, God. And we thank you for your Son, Christ, and we ask all these things in his name. Amen.